The other day I was driving down the road and I saw a billboard. And on that billboard were the words, Committed to something bigger than ourselves. Maybe you've seen one. I paid attention to that for two reasons. One was because of what it said. The other because it was a billboard for the Marine Corps. It was one of those oorah messages. I'm thankful for what the Corps means in my life. I'm thankful for the mantra of honor, courage, and commitment. I'm thankful for the test, being pushed beyond what the mind says you can do, to becoming one of the few. One of the things I'm discovering today as I dug into this message was the fact that those words that were on that billboard are true of us as well. Committed to something bigger than ourselves. And we need to get our arms wrapped around that thought. Because we serve the living God. We serve the creator of the universe. That is who our God is. I'd invite you this morning to join me in Mark chapter 12. And as you're turning there, I would remind you of the words of John and of Isaiah. And of one of the songs that we sang here this morning. Isaiah, as he was observing heaven heard one of the angels say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And I'm not so sure that there is anything else that could be said had we been standing there and observing what glory must be like. Or perhaps we would say the words of the Apostle John as he wrote them for us there in Revelation. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. That is who my God is. As we look to July the 15th, and the beginning of Pastor Andy's ministry with you, I want to leave you with some thoughts. I'm leaving you this morning with what I'm calling spiritual boot camp. And the idea here here is or are some very basic things that we need to learn. And that is essentially what boot camp does, regardless of the branch of service that you happen to serve. The idea there of boot camp is to strip away all of the trappings of civilian life and some of the mindsets that come with that, including... The idea of entitlement. The idea of self. And essentially we begin to learn teamwork and selflessness. What I want to share with you this morning are six basic truths that need to be true of all of us as children of God moving forward. 
I cannot make the assumption that you all know these things. So if you already know this, review it. If you don't know it, embrace it. These are things that all of us need to understand. I take you to Mark chapter 12 because this is a passage of Scripture that is incredibly basic. These are things that were shared by Jesus with the the Sadducees and by extension the Pharisees and the the uh, the uh, uh, the rest of the Jewish nation are going to hear. In fact, all that Jesus is going to do in these verses, verses 30 and 31, is he's going to quote Deuteronomy and he's going to quote Leviticus. These are going to be verses, these are going to be the word of God that they already know. And they found it interesting that as this passage finds its context... And let me share with you a little bit of the context of what's going on here. And the idea here is that as Jesus is teaching, he's, he's being reminded, at least in his mind, as he's thinking this through. Of course, being God, he already knew all of these things. But as he's sharing these things, he's keeping in mind the 613 precepts of the Pharisaical law that were being imposed upon the people of Israel. 613 of them. Good night. No wonder we have Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount. And nailing them between the eyes. 613. And in this context then, here are, here's this, this, this attorney, if you will. In, in fact, if you want to look at the parallel passages back in Matthew chapter 22 and verses 34 through 40, We've got this lawyer that has been sent to Jesus. And the intent here is, and, and by the way, one of the things that these people did is they would sit around and they would argue the minutia of those 613 laws. Which one's more important? And that's the context, if you will, of the question that is posed to Jesus Which of these is greater? Which of the commandments is greater? Now, in their minds, they're not thinking of the ten. They're thinking of the 613. Pick and choose. Part of this might fit in today in the context of which one of these are going to be the most politically correct. And what kind of a spin are you going to put on them? And it's the kind of question that you cannot answer and win. Especially in this context of what the Pharisees are doing and the Sadducees in their arguments about which one's more important. In fact, if you go back into Matthew chapter 23, one of the arguments that Jesus is going to make there in Matthew 23 is that he shares with them in verse 23 the fact that you are arguing over, the, in my word, the minutia of the law. You're arguing over these little itty-bitty things and wasting your time and not focusing on those things that are the most important. In fact, let me go back there real quick. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23, he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! He didn't waste any words. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, namely 
justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. What a condemnation. In fact, over here in this passage that we're looking at in Mark chapter 12, the picture here is of this attorney who has come. By the way, in the Matthew account, he's called a lawyer. He's come, he's asked this question. The idea is to entrap him, which they often tried to do. And try to get him to to say something. Again, this is an unwinnable kind of a question. And the picture that we get here is, again, looking at Matthew 22 and this passage, what the picture we get here is of this attorney leaving this, this encounter with a, a dawning of realization of what it is that Jesus shares. Okay, so I've set the context. I've set the, 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 the picture, if you will. So let's go back over here. You've already read this this morning as our, our verses of the, of the month. In Matthew chapter, excuse me, Mark chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 30 and 31. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And again, he's quoting from Deuteronomy and Leviticus, specifically Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, and Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And as he's painting this picture, as he's giving this proclamation, if you will, I want you to understand that Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 was known as the Shema. It was a phrase, it was a verse that they would quote each morning as they got up. It was something that was incredibly familiar to all of them. You're familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Many people quote that uh, as some kind of a mantra that is going to take care of the, of the cares of the day. Now please understand something. The Lord's Prayer, I call it the Disciples' Prayer. You see, I think John chapter 17 is the Lord's Prayer. But the disciples' prayer, the example that Jesus gives to them, was one to create focus and understanding. And this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 5 was one that was given uh, by Moses, well, it was given by God through Moses to the people of Israel to help them understand, here's where your focus needs to be. This is a proclamation. And again, Jesus is giving that to them here. It's almost like, weren't you listening the first time? Here it is. And he lays it out for them. And what I'm seeing here is a very cooperative effort. A very cooperative effort. In verse number 30, he says that you shall love the Lord your God. And here's the cooperation. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Four operative words there. Right? Four operative words. Wrong. There's only one operative word here. It's the word all. All. What part of the word all do we not understand? kind of like the word no. Do we not understand the N or the O? When he says, with all of your heart, he means every part of it, every bit of it. And that's why I'm calling it a cooperative effort on their part. 
The heart was the hub of their, their, their physical existence. The soul was the hub of their emotional activity. The mind was the hub of the intellect and the strength or power or might was the extent to which they were to do it. With all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind. Now I want you to understand as we, as we look at this, as we consider the extensiveness of all of this, that there is no other place before him. This ties into what we were talking about this morning in, in Sunday school with Colossians chapter 1 verse 18, that in all things he might have the preeminence, the first place. All of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, and with all of my strength. There's nothing left. That's all of who I am. That's what Moses told the people of Israel. That's what Jesus tells the Sadducee here and the Pharisees. The extensive effort that is involved, the the process that is unfolding here with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And, and, And here's a little technical thing for you that you can take home and check me out on. The idea here is in the oblative case. And you're sitting there going, and what does that have to do with me? Well, the whole idea here is talking about the sourceality, the source. And what is the source? Well, I'm glad you asked. All of, you know, before I say that, anytime the preacher is up front and he's preaching, or you're sitting in a Sunday school class and you're listening to the teacher teach, there's a very real danger of somebody sitting there and going, you know, Frank needs to hear this. There's no Frank here as far as I know. That's why I picked that name. Frank needs to hear this. The reality is, when we talk about the ablative case here, we're talking about the sourceality. The sourceality is my heart, my soul, my mind, And my strength. We're not talking about anybody else. I'm talking about me. And as you're sitting there, you're talking about you. This is the greatest commandment. And the second is as the first, that you love your neighbor as yourself. All of that, by the way, is just laying the foundation for the six foundational fundamental things that are part of our spiritual boot camp. That paves the way, that that lays the foundation again of what and who we should be as children of God. And again, let's not make the assumption that everybody knows these things. We should never make that assumption. There have been times when I've been teaching in a Sunday school class and I've said something and and then I go on. It's kind of like the uh, uh, calculus class. You know, you're sitting in calculus and you're learning all of these difficult mathematical calculations. Or you're sitting in chemistry class and you're learning all of these different things as far as chemistry or physics is concerned. You're sitting there and you're learning what happens if you happen to miss a particular lecture. The next lecture is built on the previous lecture. You know, I've seen people sitting there with this blank look on their faces in Sunday school. 
Like, what are you talking about? That's why I cannot make an assumption that everybody knows this stuff. So again, if you already know this, you need to review it. And if you don't know this, embrace it. Point number one is this. Again, we're, base, we're basing this, our foundation is on Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 12 or Matthew chapter 22. The idea here, number one, is a commitment to obey. There needs to be a commitment to obey on our part. You know, in boot camp, in Marine Corps boot camp, one of the things that you did is that if the drill instructor said jump, you said, how high, sir? You didn't, you didn't think about it, you just did it. And one of the things about being the child of God and, and being, a, being a, a, a child of the King of Kings is the idea that when God says it, that settles it. Yes, God wants us to think. And yes, he wants us to ask questions. But when God says it, it's done. But you know, we are like kids. Children. Do you know that on a dairy farm you have to have fences? Otherwise, my cows are playing with the neighbor's cows. you got to have a fence. Do you know cattle don't like fences? I cannot tell you how many times we get a phone call. Hey, your cows are out. Come and get them. And it didn't matter what time of the day or night that it happened to be. You went to get your cows. And you drove them home. I mean, you didn't put them in the back seat. <laughs> you understand driving a cow home is not. Okay. See, there's one of those assumptions i got to be careful of. You pushed them home. Well, you don't push them home either. But you got them to go home. You guide them home. Thank you very much. Okay, so the idea here is <laughs> we have a commitment. We have a commitment to the Lord. We've trusted him. We believe in him. In fact, I, I wrote down a verse here that, that I want to share with you, and it's found in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians. I'm coming back to the kids in a second. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? We are like kids. We tell our kids the way it is. We put those fences up, so to, so to speak. And what do our kids do? They push against the fence. They push against those fences that we put up. And, and, and again, we are kids. God's given us fences, so what do we do? You know, the only difference between us and our children is the price of our toys. And we press against those fences. We test those fences. We, we push against those fences. And sometimes we jump those fences. You know, God put those fences there for a reason. They exist for a reason. Just like the fences with our kids. We need to trust the truth. We need to believe that truth. As God has revealed it to us, we need to be committed to that truth. Over in Second Chronicles, you know this verse. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal 
their land. One of the things that I've learned in life, in my Christian life, is that I need to trust God. Because He has said something or He has has provided something here in my life, I need to trust that He has my best interest in mind. And I need to obey. I may not understand it, but I need to obey. I may not see the answer or the understanding on this side of glory. There are some of those kinds of questions that happen in life that I will not know the answer for. I've had people come to me with questions. Why is God doing this? I don't know. You know, I don't know how it feels to have the pastor say that. But the truth is, there are times that only God knows. He's testing us, he's stretching us, and he's creating dependency on our part. Trust him. Trust him. And one of the other things that I, that I discovered as far as the, the disciples' prayer is concerned is that one of the things that, that we need to learn there is to trust him to take care of the details of every day and to pray for things that I don't even know that I'm going to need yet. I need to be committed to him and trusting him. That's point number one. Point number two, I need to be a person who is vested in prayer. I go back to that Second Chronicles 7 again. And also in Romans chapter 10, verse number 1, he says this, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. I need to be committed to prayer. In Second Corinthians, Paul reminds us of that as well. Uh, in chapter 1 and uh, verse 11, Colossians 4, 2, he says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. How often does God go into the the importance of being a people of prayer? Well, prayer doesn't change things. Oh, yes, it does. Well, prayer is a waste of time. You know, I have heard people say this. God is all-knowing and all-powerful, right? He is. Well, being so, then he already knows what the needs are in my life, so why do I need to pray? Let me paint it another way. Husbands, do you know that your wives like to hear you say those three words? What's for supper? (laughs) You thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? No, they do. They love to hear those three words. I love you. Okay, God wants to hear us say that. And God wants to have conversation with us. He wants to hear about your day. Yes, he already knows about it, but he wants to hear it from you. Pray. And does prayer change lives? Yes, it does. Do you know that there are some times when people are being difficult and we start to pray for them? That God doesn't change them, he changes me. Makes me more patient, makes me more understanding, whatever. Prayer is a powerful tool. And God's people need to be known as people of prayer. I cannot tell you how many times I've had phone calls over the course of my career where people have called in from the community, not associated with the church, would you pray for me? I know that your people pray. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. We need to be known as a people of prayer. A people of prayer. Number three, follow the textbook. Oh, for crying out loud. Men, what is it about us? We get that new grill, and we start putting that thing together. And do you think we're going to read the instruction manual? No, they're all the same, right? You get that grill thing on top there, and you get that little fire thing underneath there, and you plug in the power, or the the, the the juice, the, 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 the gas, the gas. You plug in the gas, and then you give it the gas. That's all you really need, right? What's all these extra parts left over? I hope they're not important. You know, we don't like to follow the instructions. Some people, some people have humorously said, you know why the people of Israel got lost in the wilderness, right? Because Moses wouldn't ask for directions. Listen, folks. What is it that, uh, what is it, what verse did I have here for you? John. John chapter 14 and verse 15, he said this, If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. First mm, John chapter 2, he says, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. Is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Number three, we need to follow the textbook. God has given us the instruction manual. He has provided us with the instructions that we need to meet the challenges of every single day. And the beautiful thing is here that every single one of those were as true today as in the day in which they were written. Every single one of them. The Old Testament is as relevant as the day in which it was read. The New Testament is read, written, written. The New Testament is as relevant as the day in which it was written. Those spiritual truths have not changed. All I need to do is follow the instructions. You know, when I get into trouble, it's because I didn't follow the instructions. Good grief. Why are we so rebellious and we're trying to jump those fences and do those things that God says don't do? What is so fascinating about that? Because inevitably, I find myself in trouble because I did. Now, those, those cows are stupid. I understand that. What's our excuse? What's our excuse? You know, Paul told the Corinthians, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Right? Everything. Everything that I do. Whether I'm cutting my grass, or I'm going to visit somebody in the hospital... Or I'm sitting down for a burger after I got done cutting the grass. Whatever I do, I need to do to the glory of God. To Him belongs the glory. To Him belongs the worship. That's why the angel back there in Isaiah chapter 6 is saying those words. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. So number one... I need to be committed to obey. Number two, I need to be vested in prayer. Number three, I need to follow the textbook. There is only one standard. There's only one set of instructions. 
You know what I like to do? I like to make up my own. You ever been, you ever been playing a, a game with a child? My son did this. I can't say that I ever did, but he did. The youngest one, who's now a pastor. He's sitting there playing the game. I don't even remember what the game was. But he's making up his own rules as he's playing the game. Now, how in the world are you supposed to play a game or or go through life if the rules keep changing? I can't stand that. I'm not even going to go to another place for that one. Follow the textbook. Number four, share the fellowship. Share the fellowship. Uh, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul said this, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, but whatever fellowship has with righteousness, or excuse me, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? Over in 2 Corinthians 8, 4, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Um, Ephesians 3, verses 8 through 12, he says this, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Do you know that the church is referred to as the mystery? The mystery. Because in the Old Testament, they had no concept of the church. Here's the church body. Do you know what one of the functions and one of the primary responsibilities of the church body, of the church family is? I already said the word. Fellowship. Fellowship. Now please don't sit there and translate fellowship as in potluck dinner. Those are good too. But the idea of fellowship together as a child of God or as children of God is incredibly important for a number of reasons. The writer of Hebrews tells us not to forsake the gathering together of of ourselves as is the manner of some. Why? He tells us why in that same passage. He tells us there that one of the reasons that we're gathered together is to stir up the gifts and to be an encouragement to one another. We need that. I need that. Don't you? To be encouraged. To share the burdens. To pat one another on the back, so to speak. And for those who need the hugs, the hugs. I heard that. We need to be a people of fellowship. By the way, the, the word fellowship is, is a word that means a quality of commonness or joining or sharing uh, participation together, readiness to share with liberality, a willingness to share with liberality. This is one of those areas in, in life that we as a child of God have a unique ability that we all can do, that we all can do. Fellowship. You know, there are some people that are very quiet, very reserved, and I understand that. There are all kinds of personalities that are represented here this morning. There are those that are very gregarious, outgoing. And then there are those that are very reticent, very introverted and quiet. And then everything in between. 
You know how I know that? Because of all the noise in the morning before church starts. I watch. There are some people that are going, and then there are others that are going, and everything in between. We need the fellowship together. You know, I need to hear about your week. You need to hear about my week. You need to hear about the challenges so you can help and encourage. I need to hear about it. But more importantly, or in, along with that, is the idea of, of stirring up. By the way, that's not a negative thing that we're talking about here. There's one thing, some, some people think that's their spiritual gift, to stir up trouble. No, that's not true. We're to stir up the gifts that God has given to this congregation for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. That's number four. Number five, committed to ministry. Committed to ministry. We are people, according to Matthew chapter 20, where it says, uh, it says this in verse 25 and following, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We are a people, number five, who are committed to ministry, committed to serving one another, committed to the process of meeting those needs that exist in our family and in our community. Serving. Psalm 100 verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness. With gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Oh my goodness gracious. You ever drive down the road and you see somebody out jogging? Maybe some of you jog. Some people call it running. Right? Right? Have you ever seen anybody with a smile on their face when they're doing that? I haven't. But yet it's supposed to be good for the body. By the way, I'm poking fun at this because I used to do it until the knees went bad. And there is merit to it. There are some who, con- who compare or equate the jogging or the running with Serving. They go about the process of serving with this scowl on their face. You ever see anybody doing that? You have my permission to walk up to them and smile in their face until they smile. Or better yet, sneak up behind them and tickle them. Do something. We're to serve the Lord with gladness. You know, there's, there's joy, in, as the song says, there's joy in serving Jesus. There's, there's this inescapable and undes- indescribable, that's the word I wanted, indescribable joy in helping others. Ministry. You know, we're in ministry, not for what we can get out of it, but what we can give. Paul was talking about the fact that our children's ministries have wrapped up with the school year. Praise the Lord. 
And each of those individuals I trust were serving the Lord with gladness. Not for what they can get out of it, but what they can give to it. That's what it's all about. You know, it's it's one of those things that flies in the face of our culture. You know, our culture says, get everything, get the gusto, get everything out of it that you possibly can. What's in it for me? The reality is, in serving Christ, what's in it for everybody else? It's what I can give. And maybe it's just your time. Maybe it's just a smile. Whatever it happens to be, serve Christ. Serve Christ. So number one, commitment to obey. Number two, vested in prayer. Number three, follow the textbook. Number four, sharing the fellowship. Number five, committed to ministry. And the last, number six, yielded to the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 7, verse 6. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Ephesians 5.18, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or uh, being out of control, but be filled with what? With the Spirit. With the Spirit. One of the things that I've learned in life, and and I I echo the words of what James says there in chapter 3, verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Hmm. That's what being yielded to the Spirit does. There's no hypocrisy. There's no partiality. It doesn't matter what somebody looks like or smells like. It doesn't matter what they've got in the bank. It doesn't matter what they drive. There is no partiality. We are a people that are guided by the wisdom that comes from above. And James says it is pure. It is pure. See, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is the illumination. He illumined, you don't understand what the word illumination means? Like the light bulb comes on. The Holy Spirit, when you're reading the word of God, one of the things that he does, one of the, the ministries that he has is he brings understanding of what that is that you're reading. Now, he's not going to do it every single passage and every single verse or every single word that you happen to read. But you're going to find that the thing that God wants you to see that day, God, the spirit of God, is going to illuminate Bring understanding, perception. That's one of his ministries. I need to recognize that, and I need to yield to that. God, this is what you've got for me today. Or maybe it's a yielding of the Spirit in terms of, of ministry to another. Somebody, God's put a, a burden upon your heart for somebody else's need. Something else that's happening in somebody else's life. How many times have you had somebody come to mind in the course of the day, and you have no idea why? But God brings that person to your mind. Stop and pray. You may not know what's going on, but God brought them to your mind for a reason. Pray for them. Pray for them. Number six, I need to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. I wish there were a Shema that I could read every single morning. Oh, wait, there is. I'm holding it. 
It's right here in front of me. It might be on your lap. Or maybe you've got an electronic version. Spend time in the Word. Spend time in the instruction manual. Boy, oh boy, you know, you're going to discover you have no, no spare parts left over as God puts it together. Spiritual boot camp. These are the basics. These are the fundamentals. Leave the baggage behind. Embrace what God has. Let go of the past. Embrace the present and look to the future. You know, the future is bright. No matter how you look at it, no matter what perspective you're coming from, the future is bright. Here we are, Paul used the word transition time this morning. A new pastor, a new under-shepherd is coming to minister to you. A bright future together. Kathy and I are praying that God is going to use their ministry and touch your lives in ways and touch our community in ways that it's never been touched before. Oh, that we would be a people of faith. That we would trust the Spirit. That we'd camp in His Word. That we'd hold fast to the hope. You know, as far as the future is concerned... I understand the immediate future in the sense that, uh, that God's at work and God's doing things here. But I also understand that there's a future that is yet to come where that trumpet's going to sound and he's going to take us home. Are you looking forward to that day? That's a day that's coming. It's already on the calendar, so to speak. God's got the day appointed. And that day's going to come and I'm going to see Jesus face to face. And I dare say I'm going to hear, or I'm going to be saying those same words, holy, 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 worthy is the lamb that was slain. What a day that will be when Jesus I shall see. But until that day, listen to boot camp. Learn from it. Meet the challenges of today. Let's honor and glorify Christ in everything we do, shall we? Gentlemen are going to prepare for communion, and they're going to come here as I pray. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege this morning of being able to open your word, to learn from it, to be challenged from it. God, we are your people. We are a people that are a people of faith. We trust you. We believe you. But we'll be honest. There are challenges in our days that sometimes distract us. And God, I would ask that you would remind us of these fundamentals. That every time one of these kinds of things happen, we turn back to you. In fact, Lord, we should start with you. So help us, Lord to practice the fundamentals, to remember our basic training, that we might make a difference for eternity as you continue to make a difference in our everyday, for which we thank you and which we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.